0: Like drinking chatting and the conversation would turn over and over again to sex but this time the conversation felt very different it felt to me like we were all being able to be open and honest and non-judgmental it didn't feel like anybody was like side-eyeing anybody else you know people were speaking about their desires their fantasies what they have done what they would like to do and i just had this moment of oh my goodness why has it taken me so long to be with other women and to be able to have these kind of conversations freely.
1: Welcome back to The Cypher, a series of conversations with creators from Africa and its diaspora who are leaning into their roots to create new spaces for all of us. I'm your host, Christabel Insia Buadi. On today's show, I talk with Nana Dakwa Setiama about shifting perceptions of Black women and intimacy and how the simple act of listening and providing space has created a powerful, moving work in her book, The Sex Lives of African Women. Stay tuned. Welcome back to The Cypher, a series of conversations with creators from Africa and its diaspora who are leaning into their roots to create new spaces for all of us. I'm your host, Christabel Nsia On today's show, how do you create a safe space to explore african female sexuality what does it take to empower those voices and create content that tell the stories of experience and sensuality and pleasure for women who've often been ignored in this space nana dakwa setiyama is an award-winning blogger and writer she's also a literary innovator she's made a name by providing a platform for african women and women across the diaspora so that they can share their fantasies and their rich stories. She co-founded a blog called Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women. She's also the author of a book called The Sex Lives of African Women. It's a collection of stories that she gathered from women from across the diaspora and these stories reveal ways in which women's physical and emotional freedoms have been well controlled by others in ways that are rarely discussed. So stay tuned.
0: Nana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so delighted to be here. Lovely. So
1: your book, the Sex Lives of African Women, that really comes out of, as I understand it, your blog, right? Well, it's it's connected. I think of them mm. as as siblings, you know? So your blog is called Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women. Is that That's correct? That's correct. So they're
0: siblings, you were saying? They're siblings. So in 2009, my, a woman I call my best friend for freaking life, Malaika, <laughs> she and I started Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women, right? And through that platform, we were encouraging African women to share the experiences of sex and sexuality. And so Mm. I knew that the stories out there about African women were broader, far broader, and far more interesting than we would tend to see in the mainstream. Because like you rightly said in the introduction, you know, when you think of African women and sexuality, sometimes very, very limited perceptions come into your mind, right? Mm. You're either thinking of black women as, you know, video vixens um or if you're reading sort of mainstream progressive media anytime there's a conversation around black women and reproductive health it's something around you know high rates of maternal mortality Mm. or if you're thinking about you know african women and reproductive health you're thinking of them as you know victims of polygamy or women who have suffered fgm or You know, are living with HIV and AIDS, but then it's never a full story. You never see a woman who's living with HIV and AIDS and also living a full life with a family, with children Mm -hmm. who are healthy. You know, you never see polygamy being presented an institution that oppresses women. Um, Mm -hmm. And I knew that the stories that were out there were way more interesting, were way more complex. And I wanted to tell that fuller story or rather contributes to telling that fuller story. Mm -hmm. And so I decided I would interview African women from as many African countries and the diaspora as possible and put that in a book. And that's how the Sex Lives of African Women came into being. So the reason why Adventures is a sister to Sex Lives is because without Adventures, Sex Lives of African Women wouldn't exist. Got it. It's the big sister. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Now, after I finished the book, so for anyone who's listening, let's just say this. After I finished reading the book, you know I slid into your DMs (laughs) and and, and all I said was thank you. And you've touched on some of the reasons why I say thank you, right? There were points when I was reading the book where I got breathless Mm -hmm. and I couldn't, I didn't know why. And I stopped to reflect on it and it was, what you haven't said but I'm pretty sure it's central to your your thinking in this is that what I got from that was pleasure. Black women and pleasure. They're not two words that go together when Mm -hmm. people are talking about sex and black women. And that was what to me, and and I I don't think this is too powerful a word. That's what makes your book so powerful Mm -hmm. and quite frankly, revolutionary. And I know that you say that you're contributing to it, but even when I stumbled across your blog, because I literally did stumble across it. Right. I was like, What's she doing? And then I had all of these questions for you, not in the sense of this is bad, but I almost got scared for you because if you haven't checked out the blog, they are erotica stories, essentially, right? I don't know if some of them are true. I know that there, there are some that are fiction, but you and your friend created this space for people to share their dirty stories, quite frankly <laughs> and 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 I say dirty stories. On purpose, because yes. I'm like, kind of own that. Because, you know, like, it's mm. funky, it's dirty, like, that's part of the human experience. And as a Ghana girl, right, from the diaspora, that felt scary to me because my experience, which I know is not unusual for other people, not just from Ghana, but from anywhere else, society tends to be, and I hesitate to use this word, conservative. That, no, that's the absolutely. only word I can come up with, right? It's socially conservative in that sense, it becomes rec- repressive in all the ways. But at the same time, while it's repressive and, and it's socially conservative, in the dark, people are doing the craziest, most exactly. disgusting things. Not mm-hmm. When I say disgusting, I'm not talking about the sex acts. I'm talking about the ways in which they manipulate that to, mm-hmm. to use power, to abuse people. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I was just like, good Lord, what is happening? Like, who is this <laughs> person? I need to meet her. And so here we are. So that's my long way of, of kind of saying that. But When you were talking about the book, you talked about, I guess, social policy. It seems like that was the inspiration for the book or that was the context in which you you came up with that. Can you tell me more about that? Because I know you have a bit of a social policy background. So
0: tell us about that. I mean, I wouldn't say social policy was the inspiration. I would say my work as a feminist activist, you know, is the inspiration for everything I do. I work with global feminist movements and specifically African feminist movements. So part of what I am really interested in showing is that there are so many different realities out there. There are so many realities out there that are more expansive than the reality that t- tends to be pushed on everybody else, right? And there are many people experimenting, creating alternatives you know, to the oppressive systems in which many of us, myself included, <laughs> live. Um, <laughs> different ways for us to move in the world and there are different ways in which we can move in the world and i think stories are a powerful vehicle for showing that there are many ways of being and there are alternative ways of being and you can figure out what works best for you
1: you're listening to the cypher podcast with me christabel Insia on this episode i'm speaking with Author Nana Dakwa Sechiama. Stay tuned. And you're back. Here's more of my conversation with author Nana Dakwa Setiama. You're an African feminist, right? And mm-hmm. I was sitting down with my producer the other day, and we were hesitating about using the words conservative and all of that, because we were understanding that we didn't want to be having this conversation through a European lens. And it's a funny line to what you know, that you're a global person, you've lived in London, you live in Ghana, I'm very jealous, I can see where you are right now. (laughs) Um, But what does African feminism look like? And how can those of us in the diaspora who are African or would identify as such, or as part of the diaspora, how do we connect with that more? Or how can we, right, to build that Mm -hmm. movement as, as part of this wider movement of feminism, even though we are, we know more about what white or European or American feminism might look like. It's I think mm. it's double, but do you understand what I'm asking? Yeah, I
0: do understand what you're asking. And for me, right, African feminism is concerned with the issues that affect the African continent. And I would also include in that the diaspora, right? The diaspora is part of the continent. People have been separated from the continent for historical reasons, of slavery, colonization, you know, also migration. And I feel like as Africans, we've always traveled. You know, people tend to think of travel as this modern phenomenon. I don't think it's this modern phenomenon. It's something that we've always done, right? The borders that exist today on the continent and in many places around the world were created through colonization and by force. I feel like Mm -hmm. people should be free to move. And so for me, you can be an African feminist wherever you are in the world. It's really Mm. about the issues that you work on, you know. Mm. And so for me, the issues that I work on, obviously, I work on issues around sex, sexuality and the body, you know, and Mm. I do this work in community with other African feminists. I benefit and have learned from other African feminists who have also been doing this work for a really long time. People like Sylvia Tamale, Sukari Keen, Hakima Abbas, right? And for me, that's what feminism is about. It's really about the work that we do in community to try and create a better world for everybody.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so then thinking about that and then going back to when you said um, the freedom to choose or the right to choose, I'm paraphrasing. I think that is the, the outcome, right? That is the impact, is that your ability to choose. And again, this is what your book, the stories tell us time and time and time again, right? You have the ability to choose, but that's petrifying for a lot of us. I talked to you about reading this and be like, oh, what is she doing? She's talking about, you know, X, Y, and Z. Where did you get that from? I want to hear a bit <laughs> about your story. Like how, how, how did you wake up one day and be like, oh, you know what? No, I have the right to choose because I know we do a lot of judgment of ourselves, right? Like if you want to try something, oh, that's not what we do. And you often hear that. That's not what we do. That's not what black people do. That's not what Ghanaians do. That's not very Ghanaian. That's not, and so, and on and on and on. So how did Nana wake up one day and go, you know what? (laughs) I'm a choose.
0: (laughs) I don't know if I can say I woke up one day and I decided to choose, but I feel like there've been different pivotal moments in my life. You know, Mm. at the age of 19, going to university and studying cultural studies so i got introduced to feminist theory was definitely Mm -hmm. a changing point in my life um i was you know a young Ghanaian girl who had moved to london living on her own finding myself confronted by white supremacy in a way that i hadn't experienced before trying to figure Mm -hmm. that out and then started to read all of these incredible books by african-american feminists like bell hooks and it was almost like light bulbs were being turned on in every room in the house, right? Where you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, I was reading about sexuality and then thinking about my own life. At the time, I would have defined myself as a virgin because I understood sex at that time to be, you know, an act of penetration between a man and a woman. And then I was like, wait, I I had like what I did in girls with girls in school, that was sex, right? Why have I never thought about it as sex? So that was Definitely a moment of, you know, in a sense, like the scales falling off my eyelids. I would say another moment was when I got married, after I got married to the first man I had consensual penetrative sex with. And, Mm. you know, a year or two into the marriage, like thinking, what does this mean for my sex life? Does this mean I'm only going to have sex with one person until I die? And feeling Mm. like, no, that's not what I want, right? And thinking, oh my goodness. I should have experimented before I got married. But all I've been told was, you know, don't Mm. have sex, get married. And now I'm married. And now I'm thinking, I don't think I can hack this. I feel like Mm. there's a lot more I want to explore, you know. And actually, that exploration includes having sex with other people.
1: Well, how was that for you as a realization? Was that that must have been scary for you because your whole life is basically don't have sex why don't you have children? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? There's Mm -hmm. no middle ground. It goes from that to that. Mm -hmm. And then you go, "Mm, nah, this this ain't it for me. That was hard. Did you fight it? Did you fight it? I didn't fight it. it.
0: No, I didn't fight it. (laughs) I'm not really good at fighting anything I desire. (laughs) I feel like definitely there are things I could have done way better in terms of how I ended my relationship. But the bottom line is I ended up, I ended my relationship, you know, And actually getting divorced made me feel very free. Mm. It was like, I can have a fresh start because Mm. by then I didn't feel any fear. By then I had done a lot of thinking. I had done a lot of reading and I felt able to shed some of the weight and some of the baggage that I had picked up growing up. You know, I realized, look, there's nothing to be shameful about when it comes to sex, you know, Mm. and no, you don't have to have sex with only one person and you can explore. So that was when I entered what I proudly called my whole phase, you know? (laughs) White people, white people, she said her whole phase. (laughs) Go ahead. And that was like liberating to be honest. It was liberating to be like, I am going to have sex with whoever I want to have sex with. And this doesn't have to be a committed relationship. In fact, I don't want a committed relationship. I want to be free to experiment. Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you the question that I'm sure you might roll your eyes out, but whatever. I feel like we're new friends now. How did people react? And you clearly didn't care, but I would wager that there are a lot of people there who are just like, but what would people think? Wow. Like, weren't you scared? What'd you say to that?
0: I wasn't scared and nobody had the nerve to come and say anything to me, but it's also not like I took out an ad and I said, this is what I'm going to do, right? right, 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 right. I just <laughs> I just did what I wanted to do, you know? And then another pivotal moment, which is when the blog started, was really going on holiday with a group of other African women. And we were on a beautiful beach in the Western region of Ghana in a small town called Aksim. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're just like drinking, chatting. And the conversation would turn over and over again to sex. But this time, Mm. the conversation felt very different. It felt to me like we were all being able to be open and honest and non-judgmental. It didn't feel like anybody was like side-eyeing anybody else, you know. Mm -hmm. People were speaking about their desires, their fantasies, what they had done, what they would like to do. And I just had this moment of, oh my goodness, why has it taken me so long? to be mm. with other women and to be able to have these kind of conversations freely. That was just before I turned 30. Mm. And, and so when I got back to Accra, the capital, that's when I rang up my and I was like, oh my God, I want to write a blog about sex because I'd been blogging for a while, but I was blogging for work, right? And some of my other friends who were bloggers were like, Nana no, you should start a personal blog. And I was like, no, I have nothing to blog about. And after that holiday, I was like, I absolutely have something to blog about.
1: I'm talking with Nana Dakwa Dakwasetiyama, an academic activist and African woman. As a writer, she has spent her career amplifying the experiences of Black women through her words, thoughts, and her drive. Listen in with me to find out more about what drives her storytelling in her book, The Sex Lives of African Women. want to jump into the book I'm not going to give anything away because Mm -hmm. I want people to read the book Mm -hmm. you'll go read the book right Mm -hmm. you mentioned earlier that you wanted to kind of like show the full spectrum of women's sexuality right and there are so many wonderful stories and the women are really young in their 70s you know they, they pan the spectrum in in every single way geographically and in all the ways right and a few of them um stood out to me and even religiously. Right. And so everything that you're talking about makes sense. So when I go back to this idea of power and our perceptions, a few stories stood out, one of which was a a Muslim woman who was talking about her, what she wanted and the relationship that she was in. And it challenged what I understood to be my biases that I didn't think existed. And that was liberating for me as a reader because it made me go, all of the nonsense that we hear about, well, they cover themselves up and they, you know, they don't have power, da, da 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 In my head, I'm like, well, I don't know. It's not what I would want. And then I read this woman's story and I go, I really don't know anything. <laughs> and, so, and, and, and also freedom, whatever that is, freedom looks different for everybody else. So it's about it's about not being prescriptive. I understand that that is part of what you were trying to do. So what has been the reaction
0: to the book thus far? The reaction has been really, really, really incredible. I have to say, it's been heartwarming. Women DM me all of the time. And you know, like the way you DM me and said, thank you. I get Slid that, a know, <laughs> yes. People DM me, particularly women DM me and say, thank you so much. Queer people DM me and say, I have never felt so seen in my life. You know, mm-hmm. people say to me, you know, i would heard certain terms like pansexual or trans, and I didn't really know what it meant. But then I read your book and I read the stories you know and and everything makes sense now i've had people say to me i'm questioning my sexuality i'm realizing that maybe i'm not straight right mm. i've had people say to me i feel like i'm messing out on stuff <laughs> I, mean, I-, <laughs> I have the sense of FOMO which is not necessarily the mm-hmm. feeling i want people to have but i think it's okay to also feel like that right maybe that encourages yeah, it's these part right.
1: of the journey it's, it's part, part of the of journey, journey right? You're asking right the question
0: But the reaction has been really positive and hard to woman, I have to say.
1: Another thing that you do is there's no glamorizing of of this at all, Mm -hmm. of sex and what it is. You know, one of the chapters starts with a phrase and I'm going to paraphrase here, sex is overrated. Yes. And I'm not going to get into that. And I was just like, what a first line. (laughs) I put the book down and I was like, let me think about that. And I was just like, okay. I say that because, Again, we are expected to enjoy sex mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And there are some people who identify as asexual. Yes. Or there's some people who just don't like sex or don't like it all the time. And those people are seen as deficient mm-hmm. somehow. Mm-hmm. Now, again, not getting into the story, there are reasons for that. Some of that is connected to trauma, right? But no matter who you talk to in the book, even if they had stories of trauma and they're working through it, again, the thing that was so powerful and felt so liberating was that they were owning it. And they were saying, this is the thing that happened to me Mm -hmm. and I am working through it. This is my relationship to it, including the woman who said sex is overrated, right? You understand that something had happened and she's working through it. And I felt, I think it would have been easy for me to feel sad Mm -hmm. about what she was saying at the time. And I did, but my overriding feeling in reading that was, good for you sis Mm -hmm. because i could see i could see like she was bursting the bubble and whether that happens or not i don't know but i was like nah okay i see what you're doing and you're Mm -hmm. owning it Mm -hmm. you know so again this idea of like how people responded to the ways in which women can control our bodies because that's a big theme in this in this book as, as well
0: absolutely absolutely and for me as well that was also what was really affirming With those very difficult stories right i felt like women are working through whatever trauma they've experienced
1: and experienced silently
0: yes yes silently yeah very often people would say to me this is the first time i'm talking about this you're the first person i'm telling this i've never spoken about this to anybody i didn't expect to tell you this right yeah because the vast majority of sexual abuse goes unreported and and the real reasons why, right? Because women know they won't be believed, they'll be questioned, they'll be retraumatized. Um, and and that was like one of the more difficult things I had to do in my interviews with with women. You know, hold space for for the abuse, for the harassment, for the for the pain. Um, but what was always for me hard to is how people are working through that and how, you know, some people channel that, some people become activists because of the experiences that they've had. But it felt to me like, for the most part, people were finding ways to heal. And for some people, sex was part of the healing, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the other thing is like, sometimes people channel it by going out and sleeping with a bunch of people, right? Mm -hmm. And what do we do as a society? We label them as loose Mm -hmm. or cheap or Mm -hmm. or Mm hoish. And we never stop to ask, you know, we never stop to ask the question that as a parent of a young child, you are now often told to us which is rather than say oh that person's horrible you stop and you say i wonder what's going on with them mm-hmm. we as a society never do that and mm-hmm. so there's never there's never any love for that and you know i in all of the stories regardless of whether i'd been through what what any of those women had or not and i hadn't for a lot of them i just was constantly relating to each and every one of them you know yourself included and so you you write your own story in there as well so i love how you also weave your journey as you're talking to these women so it begs the question for me because i love story as well and part of the reason as to why i asked you to come on the show is because i think story is extremely powerful i'm a storyteller through audio through writing and i see the power of that and you nailed it as far as i'm concerned Thank you. um but in telling stories
0: how did your voice change if at all hmm that's a good question and let me just ask i think you read yes, the ma'am. uk version of the book right I think i had read the u.s version of the book okay all right the uk version didn't have that no the uk version didn't have that and the uk version also came out almost a year before the u.s version right yeah yeah mm-hmm. so in the uk version each chapter is a different woman's story and my story is mm-hmm. right at the end and in the u.s version my story is threaded all the way through so uh-huh. yeah i'm i'm still waiting to speak to somebody who's read both versions to ask them which one they prefer <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like my voice has become stronger through the years that I've been doing this kind of work and, you know, contributing to these kind of spaces. I have grown more confident in myself. I think my voice Mm -hmm. has definitely gotten more assertive. I've gotten louder. I'm more able to take up space, you know, and I'm also Mm -hmm. learning a lot from all of the women I'm speaking to. I'm also challenged, right? Like when I Mm -hmm. hear an experience somebody had, I'm like, oh, what do I need to shift in my own life, right? When I hear mm-hmm. somebody make a big change in their life, it makes me think, is there a change that I need to make in my life? So I feel like through this process, my voice has somehow expanded. Um, and I bet like yeah. you said as well, I've had some of my own misconceptions challenged, you mm-hmm. know? Um, yeah, and that's that's been incredible. So I've grown through this process myself.
1: You talked about the impact in terms of you in general, the feminist movement that you are, that you are in, how has this book impacted or shifted some of the discussions, public discussions? Have you seen any change there?
0: Oh, wow. That's a big question. Um, And I also feel like, (laughs) you know, I struggle with trying to take credit or I'm very conscious of not wanting to take a, to take too much credit or to try and give myself more props than I'm due. Mm, um, please take the props, sis. <laughs> take the flowers. <laughs> take the flowers. But I feel like my work is a contribution, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like African feminists have been speaking up about bodily freedom and bodily autonomy for a long while. Mm. You know, um, and, and my work has contributed to that. I think what I've done that's maybe been a bit different is, and maybe what also motivated other people and encouraged other people because I've been given this feedback by some of those people, is expanding the conversation, using digital platforms to have the conversation. You know, and I know I've at least inspired one, you know, popular pan Africanist queer collective to create the platform that they created. And they do a amazing. lot of incredible work and it's amazing to think that there's some way shape and form that influence that you know In kenya recently i was part of a meeting an initial meeting that a group of african feminists who work in the area of reproductive health were having you know and they'd invited me to do a reading and to have some discussions ahead of them going into a session where they were going to write a charter around reproductive health and part of what they were saying to me is you know this is so helpful how, how can we actually factor in pleasure into the whole conversation mm-hmm. around reproductive health and, and rights, right? Because mm-hmm. usually we're looking at it from this particular lens, which is useful. Which, you know, we're looking at it from the lens of how do we avoid disease, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. Which is really, really important. But how can we also look at things from the lens of pleasure? And so if there's anything I have contributed, Or yeah, I feel like it's that, right? Helping people to think that pleasure is also really important when it comes mm. to the field of, you know, women's sexual health and rights.
1: It makes me think that actually sexual pleasure is actually s- central because it's it's part Absolutely. of the human experience, Absolutely. right? And I mean it from I mean it from the emotional and the the, the spiritual part of it. And I say that because one of my I have a cousin. I have many cousins in Ghana, obviously. One of my cousins works in the the gender rights space. Yeah. He's been working on basically educating younger kids, especially around periods, because and we have we had this big expansive conversation and he was talking about you, you gotta start there because A, we men have to be allies, number one, but also B, when you start basically treating girls as dangerous or dirty because they started their period, that's where the problem begins. And So I see a connection in what he's doing, right? And what you're doing, because even though he's dealing with the the kind of like factual mechanics of our bodies, really what he's saying is, this is a natural part of our lives. Mm -hmm. This is a natural part. This is, this is who we are. Mm -hmm. You can't shun this girl or put this girl away because she started a period and you're going to be scared of her. And as I was listening to him, I I remembered that well that's exactly where the problem starts because when you are scared of something you seek to control it this is not new like what I'm saying to you right we've known that from reading all, all of the stories but again I'm in looking at what you have done in terms of like centering pleasure and talking about that like our right as women to have pleasure
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'm like it starts from there absolutely you're saying we can't just we can't just like walk the street and be the, you know, human beings, the human beings that we are. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. And I think it's so powerful to start from pleasure, right? Because as women, we're never really taught to center pleasure and to center pleasure in our own lives, right? We're raised to be caregivers. We're raised to be kind, to be gentle, to put everybody else's needs first. We're never thought, we're never raised to think of pleasure as something we're entitled to. Or something Mm. that we deserve. And Mm. really, that's where I think we need to start.
1: A hundred percent. Nana, thank you so much for your time. I would love to continue talking with you. I don't want to sound like a sycophant. This is not that at all. But I really enjoyed this conversation. (laughs) So have I. Oh, I love it. So... Nana Dakwa Setiama, thank you so much for joining me on The Cypher today. And I hope we stay in contact Absolutely. and I hope we change the world together.
0: Amen. Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Nana Dakwa Setiama, the author of the sex lives of African women. You can listen to past episodes of this show, The Cypher, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And I hope that our show is one of them. Make it so, make it so. And don't forget to like and subscribe. You can follow Nana on Twitter. She's at NAS009. And follow her on Instagram. She's at D-F-O-R-D- a-R-K-O-A Again, don't forget to like and subscribe to the Cypher podcast and tell your friends to do the same The Cypher is the audio companion to the Cypher newsletter Sign up to that to discover more creatives from the diaspora and check out some of our favourite podcasts as well. You'll also discover tips and tricks from audio creators Go to our website It's cipher that's C-I-P-H-E-R dot com Tess Goodwin edited the podcast. And Christabel Inciabwadi, hello, that's me, executive produced and hosted the show. Thank you so much for joining me and I will see you next time. The Cypher is a My Lens Media production.